Welcome back to AD 79, Year of Vesuvius, episode 13, the month of April. I'd promised Titus this week, but life had other plans, and since each month gets its own dedicated episode as close to the beginning as possible, April bumped his stage entrance. So, as usual, let's check the Monologia Rustica and see what it has to say about this month. Month of April, 30 days, knowns on the 5th, day, 13 and a half hours, night, 10 and a half hours, sun in Aries, domain of Venus, sheep are purified. Names first. So far, we've had January for Janus, February for purification, March for Mars. What's with April. Henry Honigswald, eminent linguistic scholar of the 20th century, called April the most obscure of the Latin month names. Even the Romans were stumped. Ovid suggests operire to open, since the spring then opens everything and gives way to the intense harshness from the cold and the fertile earth opens up. They say that it was called April because of the open season, month that vindicates the nurturing Venus, putting her hand on hers. Sounds good, but scholars generally dismiss it as folk etymology. If the month is not named for a descriptive verb, what then? A god, presumably. If so, which one? Nothing obvious springs to mind, but the Menologia reminds us that we are talking the domain of Venus, in Greek, Aphrodite. Venus doesn't sound like April, and Aphrodite, for most, that's a bit of a stretch. Or possibly not. Honigswald did an article on the subject in 1941. In all matters of Latin word origin, when in doubt, dig deeper in time, or spread out the language field from Rome itself. Etruscan or Samnite are popular. The argument, oversimplified, is that Etruscan name Apru, from Greek Afru, short form of Aphrodite, thus the month of Aphrodite. Tack an L on the back, which Honigsvall said is a thing in Etruscan, and there you have it. Afru becomes Afriel, and over time we get the month we know and love. Can't prove it by me, one or the other. A counter-argument is that the Etruscans referred to Venus as Talon, though you can counter that by asking who's to say they didn't have more than one name for her. For the curious, the Honigswald article is On Etruscan and Latin Month Names, 1941 American Journal of Philology. Most of what I've found dating since then has been relatively offhand. Please let me know if I've missed something crucial. Much of this would have been even a more obscure problem if Nero had had his way. In the year 65, he decreed that the month of April would henceforth be known as Neronius. This was one of the honors bestowed on Nero after he put down the Pisonian conspiracy and assassination attempt against himself. Why this month is a fair question, especially if the name was already taken by a god. Even Julius Caesar and Augustus didn't go that far. 
They appropriated Quintilius and Sextilius, respectively in the fifth and sixth months, leaving open the possibility for others later on to take the uncontested September, October, November, and December. What was Nero thinking? Could have been impatient. He was an impulsive sort of fellow. He also had an unhealthy willingness to cock a snoot at the gods. Some find a thrill in that sort of behavior. People forget, but Nero was quite the daredevil in his youth, a serious charioteer, and chariot racing is not a sport for the faint-hearted. Obviously the name did not catch on, and certainly it was not used in AD 79, and none of the emperors who followed Nero went so far as to appropriate the month for themselves, not after what happened to him. So, back to April. The first of the month, which was marked by the festival of Veneralia, dedicated to Venus Verticordia, that is to say, Venus Turner of Hearts, which is to say, from lust to chastity, or, if you prefer, from irregular unmarried lasciviousness to proper married libido leading to proper motherhood. The origin story for this holiday begins in 214 B.C., when the reader of the Sibylline books decided that it required the finest sample of chaste Roman womanhood to be chosen to dedicate the statue to Venus Verticordia. Sulpicia, daughter of Servius Sulpicius and wife of Fulvius Flaccus, joke names to us maybe, but very respectable families to the Romans, got the job. Not much of a story in itself. The books promised that this would turn down the temperature on female libidiousness in general and save the young for marriage. Who's going to argue with the Sibylline books? What prompted the officials to look into the Sibylline books is left unremarked, but probably it had something to do with the Second Punic War and Hannibal and his elephants and the Carthaginian army having invaded Italy. The operation sounds like the kind of official PR that governments use to keep a wider population in check. In this case, a somewhat ham-fisted attempt to encourage women to behave. It was also encouragement for the menfolk fighting for hearth and home, and who did not need stories about the wives and girlfriends they left behind giving in to Lotharios back home. That sort of thing is bad for morale. How much effect did this have? Probably about as much as human nature usually accords people in similar circs. In any event, the festival hits the literature again about a hundred years later. A lot of social change can happen in a hundred years. In Rome, Hannibal and his elephants were ancient history, and we have a new crisis. It seems that a Roman knight and his virgin daughter Helvia were riding back to Rome from Apulia, where they had been attending some games, when a bolt of lightning struck and killed her, upping her tunic and causing her tongue to protrude most horribly. The unmarried girl, it seems, had not been a virgin, and shrewd Romans who understood the subtle messages from the gods found a connection to the recent scandal of not one, not two, but three Vestal Virgins' failure to live up to their vows of chastity. 
The Vestal Virgin's job was to keep the eternal flame burning and attend a few public religious services about town, and in so doing, keep the favor of the gods. There were six at any given time, and accorded various privileges, but they were considered sacred for the tenure and untouchable. Once every decade, a pair of inductees, while still in single digits, joined the college, learned the duties for ten years, practiced for another ten, trained the new crop for another ten, after which they enjoyed retirement on a full pension and the right to marry. The untouchable part proved too much for some of the younger women, but slippage had bad consequences. In the case of the three recent offenses, the men involved, two of them Galatian, two Greeks, none of them Roman, had to die. So did the women. But as they were sacred and must not be touched, how to effect their end? The law said, burial alive, which translated into being sealed alive into a cave. That bit of cleanup having been taken care of, the Romans determined that the statue of Venus Verticordia, presumably stashed in one of the various Venus temples around town, was to get a temple of her own, dedicated in 114. Chosen women of clear virtue were assigned to remove the jewelry and necklaces from the statue of Venus and wash it and purify the stone with myrtle, and for themselves to drink milk, honey, and poppy seed, all of which, theoretically, would bring them beauty, a virtue, and a good reputation. Enough to say that these were what Venus drank on her wedding night. Who's going to argue with Venus? April 1st was also the day to celebrate Fortuna, another goddess with many aspects, in this case Virilis, a festival which gave the chosen women, and even the unchosen, a chance to relax after the rituals of Verticordia. Ovid describes them. Learn now why ye give incense to virile fortune in the place which reeks of warm water. All women strip when they enter that place, and every blemish on the naked body is plain to see. Virile fortune undertakes to conceal the blemish and to hide it from the men, and this she does for the consideration of a little incense. Ovid does have something of an obsession for the ladies. Venus, also the goddess from whom the Julians were born, and the Flavians were always happy to rub shoulders with the memory of that family, the not-crazy ones at least. Vespasian had two grown sons, one daughter, just the sort of thing that Augustus would have approved of, and more than any of the Julio-Claudian emperors were capable of. So much for the name and for Venus. What else does the month have to offer? Good times for the most part. None of T.S. Eliot's April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dull roots. Narrator, not a lot of fun at parties, I guess. Needed to get out more. Cultivate a kitchen garden. Check out the dull roots of the tomatoes and peppers and potato plants. All that stuff unknown to ancient Europeans. Best to be glass half full whenever possible. Certainly the Romans of AD 79 found the month promising. Just consider that folk etymology endorsing April as the year's opening salvo. 
April had a number of fertility and agricultural festivals, Cerulea Fortisidae, Perilia, Vinalia, Robegalia, more than we have time for. The landscape, or wasteland if you insist, has begun to turn green. What's not the like? And if the Monologia has little on the farmer's to-do list, Varro and his sort are quick to point out that the fields are calling and there's still plenty of work to do in the great outdoors. Weeding, harrowing, cutting willows, fencing meadows. This is also a good month to plant and prune olive trees. If April doesn't get your juices flowing, nothing will. Next time, a few words on Titus, heir apparent to Vespasian, arguably 8079's Man of the Year. As I said in the last build-up, as Roman emperors and personalities go, he is in some ways the most interesting of all, or rather the presentation of him by our literary sources raises the most questions. Interesting fellow, also alarming, as we shall see. As a reminder, contributions to help underwrite the production of this series are more than welcome. It doesn't write or perform itself, and it doesn't survive on the internet without some cash outlay. If you're in a position to help, the donation button will get you to Patreon or buy me a beer. If you're a little short just now, an upvote or mention would not be unwelcome. Until next time, thank you for listening.